joined on the GRV News podcast by Bronwyn Welsh, who has had a lifetime association with greyhounds. Bronwyn is currently and has also previously been a hobby trainer and we'll clarify that for everyone shortly. But Bronwyn has had nearly 40 years experience as a veterinary nurse and is currently one half of a behavioural dog clinic with her husband Greg. Welcome to the GRV News Podcast, Bronwyn. How are you? Oh, very well, thank you and thanks for having me. No problem at all. Now, Bronwyn, with nearly 40 years as a vet nurse... What are the most common issues you've seen in canine care? Um, It's it's basically down to education. Um, Many people are first-time owners that might come into the practice and, yeah, lots of times they're, they're learning as they go. So it's about things like just health, um, nutrition, um, explaining to them about desexing, the importance of that, um, not wanting unwanted puppies and yeah, a huge variety of things. Um, we love to get them early um, with little puppies and start them off with things like puppy education because the owners are the ones we're actually training more so than the actual pups. So yeah, a huge gamut of um areas that we try to um, tackle. Well, certainly a bit of uh, two-legged education as much as it is four-legged as well. Now, Bowen, with Greyhound Racing Victoria's recent desexing and dental scheme, I'm sure this is uh, very welcomed by you. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think uh, when we're retiring dogs and then looking to place them in forever homes, um, there's huge costs incurred and it can be quite daunting for some people, but I was um, absolutely yeah, thrilled when I heard that the GRV were offering this because particularly if you've got more than one dog that you're wanting to um, start off on the right paw, so to speak, on their new uh, life ahead of them, being able to send them out already de-sexed and um, having things like dental care, which can be quite expensive, I think it's just such a, a great way to launch them and, yeah, I'll take my hat off to GRV for it. It's really pleasing to see this, Bronwyn. Now, let's just have a look at these costs as well. So, $400, including GST, for male greyhounds for de-sexing and dental. That's the uh, capped amount that GRV are, are offering there. $500, including GST, for female greyhounds. And also, pronounce this correctly for me, Bronwyn, uh, males with perhaps one retained testicle? Yes, that's a crypt orchid. Crypt orchid, uh, thank you. It's not a plant, it's a crypt orchid. So it's $500 including GST for females and crypt orchid males for desexing and dental, which is very generous. And we've also got $400 including GST for dental only treatment if the greyhound is previously desexed. Now, Bronwyn, uh, veterinary fees can vary considerably, can't they? Oh, it, yeah, it's like any industry, um, you know, you go and shop around if you're going to look to have a tradesman do a job, uh, it's no different um, with the professionals as well, and there is also a big difference between um, regional and city, um, people in the city, you know, might complain about their vet bills, but I can tell you if they came out to a more remote regional area, they may find that their vet bills are uh, quite substantially higher, so yeah, it does pay to shop around and sometimes even hopping in the car and travelling um, suburb to suburb or even um, across the state, you can. there are savings to be made. So I think what GRV have done, giving a 
a good starting point. Um, it does make it more affordable um, for everybody. Um, but yeah, definitely there's a big difference in the costings. Now, with greyhounds that have come off the racetrack and are going into people's homes as pets, how important is desexing? Oh, huge. Um, a lot of the owners, I think, um, Gap, Gap um, may be able to confirm some of this for you at a later date, but I think a lot of them are first-time, if not first-time dog owners, they're definitely first-time greyhound owners. And as you know, and most in the industry know, um, we're making huge advances in the number of greyhounds being rehomed. So they're going to people that have no concept of the breed overall because they're, you know, they're not a well-known um, domestic pet. So I think when they go to their new homes, whoever's rehoming them, whether it's Gap or whether it's some of the other um, rehome groups, um, I think a lot of work has to be done working with those new owners as to understanding the breed and the differences that are required when you do take on a greyhound. Now, Bronwyn, the importance of dental care. Some dog breeds are more prone to particular health issues than others. What have you seen in your veterinary nursing career with dogs' teeth and in particular greyhounds? Um, yeah, dental, you know, 30, 40 years ago, you know, was not even thought of with dogs. It was, you know, oh, yeah, get his mouth checked if, if he broke a tooth or whatever. But um, we know that health of a dog's mouth, any breed, um, affects their overall health. If they've got a poor mouth with poor teeth, poor hygiene, they're constantly swallowing bacteria um, from things like gingivitis, gum infections, to um, problem teeth. So it affects their overall health. And there are certain breeds that have things like... Um, People may have heard of parrot mouth or undershot jaw, overshot jaw. It's the way the teeth don't align properly. And while, you know, when I was very, very much younger, um, it was not something we saw a lot of with the greyhounds, but um, I don't know what it is now, but there are some um, more present with these not quite matching up teeth, which then causes um, issues with the way they wear their teeth. Um, the part of the builds up, so a lot of greyhounds have pretty poor mouths that need um, probably dental care. So again, it's a it's a great opportunity when they're going to their new homes and they're doing this desexing. It's fantastic that they've added the dental side of it on as well, because if they can go to their new owner with a completely clean, descaled, um, healthy mouth, and then the owner can. Um, keep up scratch, you know, with the dental care and getting their vets to check them as they go. So I think it is important, more so than we ever realised many, many, many years ago. But also, just on that issue of dental care and also other veterinary issues that, that can be checked over as well, and including, of course, what GIV are offering, uh, dental and desexing, the contribution that they're making... For an animal to be under an anaesthetic, and, and a lot of dogs are under anaesthetic to have their teeth cleaned, it is a good opportunity to have the animal under under an anaesthetic uh, as little as possible. So in, the, in this situation, to have them under, say, just once, so perhaps if it's appropriate, if the vet deems it appropriate, that the animal be, be under 
just the once for both procedures, that, that is a far better outcome than, than being under general anaesthetic on a number of occasions, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Um, any anaesthetic we know, there's always a risk with an anaesthetic. Um, in the great, in the excuse me, the veterinary industry, um, for years it was always um, we always worried when we put any of the sighthound breed, like greyhounds or whippets or the other sighthounds, under anaesthetic. And it's, it's due to the fact that things like they've got not much body fat, like compared to other breeds, and they seem to, you know, have um, heavy effect from an anaesthetic. Um, our anaesthetics nowadays are much safer than what they were, but. The old adage, one of my old veterinary bosses used to say, a quick anaesthetic is a good anaesthetic. Um, and by meaning that, a quick anaesthetic or, you know, one anaesthetic instead of two. So to get two procedures done under the one anaesthetic is a good thing and less worry for the vets, um, quicker recovery. We don't have to put them back under again, you know, a couple of weeks later to do the dental. It's all done at once. So that's another innovative way to approach yeah, what they're offering. So, yeah, it's a great idea. Well, just on that uh, mention there of uh, the body fat of the greyhound as well, when the animals are, are racing, obviously, that they're lean and they're fit and they're incredibly healthy, but they're coming yeah. off the racetrack, they're actually the physique of a greyhound. What is their ideal weight? And what do you think is a good diet for a dog that is no longer racing? Yes, good question. Um, there's a huge difference between their racing weight. Um, for people listening that um, aren't aware, um, a dog gets weighed, a racing greyhound gets weighed every time it goes to the track. It gets a recorded weight. That weight is not allowed to vary greatly. They are an athlete and they have to stay at a, a sort of a required weight for that dog. Um, and it varies in the size of the dog. You can have a female greyhound racing as little as 25 kilos right up to, you know, 30 plus kilos. The males, I've got a big fellow here, Jack, laying on the couch right now watching me. Um, he races at the moment at about 37 kilos. Um, so there's a big range in their weights, but regardless of what race weight they're at, when they do come off the track um, and go to, a, say, a rehome, um, they shouldn't be allowed to get grossly overweight. I think um, new owners think, oh, greyhounds are skinny, we've got to fatten them up. Um, they're not meant to carry huge body weight, and I think we create a lot of health issues if we allow them to get too fat. So it is something that has to be watched, and it's about their body shape. You know, we don't want to look down on a greyhound's back and see it, you know, as rectangular as the coffee table. It's got to have a bit of shape to it. So we need to see a little bit of shape behind that rib cage, you know, a little bit of a waistline. Um, ideally, they say, still able to see a little bit of rib. Um, but, yeah, it will depend on the dog. But certainly the way I think particularly owners who don't understand the greyhound breed, um, the way they feed them. You know, these dogs are used to having a, a strict diet and strict meal times. Um, they get fed on uh, a, you know, routine. They thrive on routine. So just putting food down for them to graze on all day or feeding them lots of human food, 
um, is not good for them overall. It uh, leads to problems that we don't want. And also the fact, I think, greyhounds are like any breed. They will train their human as well as the human can train them. They tend to train us into what they want. So we hear a lot about fussy fussy greyhounds when they go to their homes. And I think, wow, most racing greyhounds, they're not terribly fussy. They just, you know, they eat their food. Um, and something people may not be aware of, the way dogs do taste. Um, we humans have about 10,000 taste buds on our tongue, so we, you know, we taste intensely. But dogs have 1,700 taste buds. So when you compare that, they don't taste anywhere near um, to the degree we do. So they can eat all sorts of things and not taste it a lot. So they don't need all that huge variety and highly flavoured food like we humans have. So if you put down the food for the dog for three nights in a row and on the fourth night he turns his nose up, don't think that you know he doesn't like the taste of that food and rush off to get him something else. He's just particularly being fussy that night. So... We have to sort of play their game. Don't let them play us, so to speak, if that makes sense. And I suppose uh, not necessarily falling for those big greyhound eyes that can look at you a little sadly at times, particularly when you're about to hoe into your favourite piece of cheese and they're trying to sneak a piece from you. It's uh, not necessarily a good thing for them, is it? No, and I mean, I'm sitting here now with my husband who um, is notorious for um, being played by these greyhounds that we've got our retirees. Um, they just, yeah, they have his measure entirely. And uh, the odd little treats here and there, you know, they all need to be loved. But, yeah, I'm just, yeah, really worried about the way we are humanising them with what we feed them and it, it's not good for them. Now, Bronwyn, let's go back to your first experience as a hobby trainer. That was back in 1978. And uh, a winning greyhound, indeed, with Mr Corvette, a name for speed, perhaps. Tell us a little bit about Mr Corvette. Oh, gosh. Um, yes, I was probably newly married then. Um, I had my first child and someone, a friend, gave me a six-month-old greyhound uh, youngster that they hadn't been able to place. And he became, um, yeah, our first... Uh, racing greyhound when we were a young couple with a new child and yeah we had great fun with him he um he lived in the house he had free range of the place um i had a yeah i think he was nine months old then the young um the first child and yeah this greyhound just fitted beautifully and we just raced him on a remote regional um, racetrack and had three wins with him which is you know not earth shattering but um we had lots of fun and uh, my husband was working long hours, so when I had to walk the greyhound, I would uh, have the baby in the car seat in the back of the car, and I would go out the bush, and the greyhound would trot along slowly beside the car. That was the way I had to exercise him, because I didn't have a walking machine, and I couldn't walk with the baby. So, yeah, we, we did it sort of not conventionally, but, yeah, we still had lots of places and a few wins with him and loved every minute of it. And he stayed our pet till the day he died. Wow. Uh, and then we had a 40-year break. Yes. Now, when, so when did you recently renew your training licence? Um, look, I, uh, they say 
midlife crises, you know, I'm now in my mid-60s, so it was probably in my late 50s, so a few years, um, the husband wanted to go out and buy a motorbike, and I thought, well, my passion, I, I just always loved this breed desperately, and, you know, I followed them all along, and I'd worked there as a child or young kid at the Greyhound track, but I wanted to get back into it, so yes, I went and bought myself two pups, yep. and... Um, yeah, and they stayed with us again, um, and we've gone on from there. And um, I think my first winner it was a 40-year break. Yep, and then we had um, I had a, a greyhound here. I've still got her. She's right beside me. Um, Glorifier. I've ended up with her and her two sisters, her litter sisters. Um, I managed to get hold of them. I had been involved with them when they were young and the guy was um, who owned them and bred them. Um, a guy, a uh, GRV trainer called Jamie Quinlivian, he bred them and raised them and he was moving a few on and I desperately wanted the girls so I got these three and got my trainer's licence um, and started racing. Yeah, Glorifier. So I think it was 2018. So that was, yeah, exactly 40 years from Mr Corvette and Glory Fire gave me my first win after all that time. And, uh, yeah, that was another exciting day. Wow, 40-year breaks, extraordinary stuff. But congratulations, um, some incredible memories that, that you have there as well. Now, given the fact that it was a 40-year gap there between Mr Corvette and Glory Fire, what do you think has been the biggest change with greyhounds that you've seen in that 40-year period? Is it the fact that they're going into people's homes now? Was, it, was that the situation back in 1978? No, no, there was very few. Um, there was, you know, the odd good dog that someone would keep hold of. Um, but, yeah, no, not, not a lot in um, private homes, like as in pet dog rehoming. Um, it was mainly within the industry itself. So, yeah, a, a big change there. And I think it's fantastic now that, you know, they are becoming the recognised, uh, lovely temperamented dog that they are and that there's going to be probably some huge areas hopefully will open up in the future where people will realise these dogs are just tailor-made for temperament. Um, we get some amazingly lovely dogs that just want to sleep on couches all day with humans and don't have high needs. You know, I'm a behavioural trainer and I have probably anywhere between 70 and 80 dogs a week come through our training facility um, for training manners and improving temperament problems and behavioural problems. So we're fixing a lot of the dogs that have issues out there, as in pet dogs, and here's this breed that are just tailor-made for having very few issues um, as far as, you know, wanting to just be with humans, um, being inside, spending untold hours sleeping, which is um, what they do most of their race lives as well. Um, they sleep most of the day, as we all know, and then have uh, five minutes of racing. Um, but, yeah. Five minutes of uh, fabulous, furious pace as well. <laughs> but Bronwyn, uh, as, as a hobby trainer in the, in the Mildura area where you're based, can you give our listeners a few tips about greyhounds, particularly as we're looking ahead to the warmer months? How do, and you mentioned earlier about their uh, low body fat. How, how do they cope in the heat? Not good with heat. Um, and I think 
probably most of the dogs that, you know, in a race environment, they're usually, a lot of them are in air-conditioned kennels or, you know, quite cosseted the way they're kept, um, as opposed to a dog stuck in the backyard, you know, like a domestic pet that's out there fending for itself in the heat. Um, these dogs are quite sensitive to heat, so we do have to make allowances for that and make sure that they um, are well-maintained with um, when we are in the hot weather. Mildura has temperatures, you know, if you look at our weather map any night of the week in Victoria, Mildura is always the hottest in the state. Yep. So we are in an arid area and um, my dogs here are either inside under the cooler or they'll be down in, um, I've got an education room that has a split system and they tend to like that room the best because it's got the, the best um, air conditioner. Um, but yeah, walking them, um, you've probably seen, um, you're based in the city, you'll see people out walking during the day, even in Melbourne where it can get quite hot. Um, walking out in the middle of the day is just not on for greyhounds. You know, you've got to walk them in the morning when it's cool or in the evening. Um, and I have a, like a, you say a taste test for food, well I have a, a test for, for walking with heat. Um, if you're on a footpath or a pavement um, and it's the middle of the day or whenever, if you took your shoes and socks off and couldn't walk more than a couple of metres without burning your feet, well, then it's too hot for your greyhound to be walking on that same pavement. Um, it's common sense, really. They may have pads on their feet, but they still feel intensely temperature through their, their feet. So we have to be aware of, you know, hot surfaces, backs of cars. People, I've seen them around having them, you know, in the back of a um, four-wheel drive, say, uh, or, a, you know, a um, people-moving vehicle. Um, it can get quite hot over the back of the vehicle, even if you've got air conditioning. So always be aware of the heating cars, even when you're travelling. Um, so, yeah, it is a big one. And they need plenty of um, water to be able to go. And I just have little wading pools, those little cheap $20, $30 wading pools that you get from Bunnings or any of the shops. I always keep two or three of those around um, full of water so that they've always got access to have a paddle and have a drink and one or two of them will lay in it, but most of them are a bit fussy about getting wet. <laughs> so I don't know what it is. Some love it, some don't. Yeah, they, I've seen a few, a few of them sort of like uh, shy away from water and others are straight into it and you think they're almost a fish. Look, Bronwyn, thank you so much for your time and sharing uh, your ex extensive experience um, with greyhounds in so many levels as well. And it's uh, really nice to catch up with you too and also uh, spend a bit of time with you discussing how much joy they've brought to your life as well. And I know that they're certainly uh, your favourite breed of dog. Yeah, they are, and it's really hard. I'm not allowed to be breedist because I you know, <laughs> deal with so many breeds of dogs, but I have to be very careful. But people know I am passionate about them here, and I get so many inquiries and new owners that, you know, they say, I'll go and talk to that greyhound lady. Um, so, yeah, I do help a lot of the newbies up here that um, have taken on a greyhound and try to help them get over the little hiccups that they may find early understanding this breed because they are they are a little bit different when they've come into a new environment and people want to treat them just like you would your little um your little fluffy um you know 
multi-shitsu and they think, you know, a lot of people think they're going to overly lavish attention on these dogs and some of them are just used to it to start with. They, they need to be eased into home life um, and that's why I think groups like GAP do have those periods with foster families first, which is a great idea to get the dog used to living inside intensely with humans. Um, so yeah, hats off to those who run those programs because I get the occasional owner that hasn't had that opportunity to have their dog sort of transition and they find um, yeah, a few little things that they need help with. But thank you for giving me the opportunity. Not at all. Robin, it's been an absolute pleasure with nearly 40 years as a vet nurse, um, two stints as a hobby trainer, and you've had a lifetime association with a breed, and, and now you're working with your husband, Greg, there with your own behavioural dog clinic. Um, extensive knowledge. We really appreciate your time and your thoughts. And for anyone uh, listening there, for more information about the GRVD Sexing and Dental Scheme, please contact Greyhound Welfare and Rehoming on 03-8329-1100. Bromwell Welsh, it's been an absolute pleasure to catch up with you on the GRV News Podcast. Thanks for your time. Thank you.